Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, Bill Werner has a fun look at how things work or don't work at the state capitol as a legislative session wraps up. Mike Grimm gives us a closer look at the Timberwolves' Carl Anthony Towns, who's the NBA's Rookie of the Year, and I get the lowdown on a pioneer of the video game boom, which was created in Minnesota more than 40 years ago and just recently made it into the Video Game Hall of Fame. But first, over the past three weeks, a total of three Minnesota wives have died at the hands of their husbands. The recent tragedies have again sparked the conversation surrounding domestic violence. MNN's Tasha Radel takes a closer look. Thanks, Scott. It's hard to believe, but domestic violence has a devastating effect on every person in Minnesota. Each victim is someone's daughter, son, mother, father, sister, friend, neighbor, or coworker. Joining me now is Connie Moore, Executive Director of Alexandra House near Blaine. Welcome, Connie. Thank you. Wanted to visit with you a little bit, and, you know, I have read some different articles, and and it seems like with all the recent cases of domestic violence over the past uh, three weeks involving Minnesota moms who lost their lives, it always kind of reintroduces the issue and people start talking again. Mm -hmm. And uh, is this is this kind of frustrating for you, I guess? Well, yes, it it is a a bit frustrating. Um, I think this is a conversation, violence against women, domestic violence, sexual violence need to be a conversation that folks have on a regular basis, not just when there's a tragedy. and talking about what can we do to change this? What can we do? It's our role in the community um, as an individual or as a business or uh, the faith community or in our schools or wherever healthcare. Um, what can we do? And, you know, I wanted to, you know, that is the big question. What mm-hmm. can we do? What can mm-hmm. Minnesotans do to begin talking? Mm-hmm. Well, I think number one is learning more about the issue itself because I think once you start learning about um, domestic and sexual violence and how it impacts the community, um, obviously it's going to be easier to have a conversation about what one can do. And so having knowledge is power. So having information about those issues um, can help facilitate conversations about what can we do. And, you know, I think on an individual level, if you know somebody um, or think that you know somebody who's who might be in um, a dangerous situation or in an unhealthy relationship, to um, be able to have a, a conversation with them about what's going on um, is, is very helpful. I mean, that's one thing uh, on an individual basis folks can do in learning to understand what the flags might be, um, the signs might be that that is something that your friend or loved one is, is, is um, dealing with and doing it in a way that's non-judgmental and, and in a way that where that person feels that they can have that conversation without being judged. Um, It's a very embarrassing, shameful, there's a lot of guilt that um, victims feel about what's happening. And so it's a very difficult conversation for for folks to engage in who are are, are, um, being victimized. And and so being that open door, that sounding board for that person is um, 
definitely a first step in them being able to talk about what they can do to change it. But And many times they're blaming themselves for things that are happening. So, And you know when kids are involved in this most recent mm-hmm. case out of Eden Prairie, the mom that mm-hmm. was stabbed to death and mm-hmm. she was pregnant, um, mm-hmm. this has to affect the kids. I mean, they're probably mm-hmm. seeing it more than what we realize. Mm-hmm. Well, children... I mean, if you're in a home where there's um, abuse happening, even though they may not even not be witnessing it, they're still experiencing it, and they may hear things or or maybe see things. Um, so definitely has an impact on the children. And in the years that I've been doing this work, one of the things that I've you know learned from survivors is that. One of the reasons that people say, why doesn't she just leave? And I don't like that question. What I'd rather have the question is, why is the perpetrator, why is he doing what she's doing? Or why is the person who's harming the other person, why are they doing it? But a lot of times, in many cases, it's, I I need to make this work. I still care about this person. I want my children to have their father or their mother. I I want them to have this family. And so they do what they can to keep that family unit together. And then that's the very reason that they might make the decision to leave because they see the impact it's having on their kids. And, you know, for a listener out there, perhaps that is in a situation like this, what's a, what's a good first step? Uh, any, any advice for someone who is a victim of domestic mm-hmm. violence? I, I, the first step is you can definitely call an organization like Alexandra House. We, uh, there's the 24-hour helpline. It's a confidential conversation. You don't even have to tell the person on the other end of the line who you are if, if you don't want to do that. So it's an opportunity to talk to somebody who is totally, you know, you know that what you say to that person is confidential. Um, there's that non-judgmental um, conversation that you can have with that person about what your options might be. Perhaps, you know, that call is where you you create a safety plan. You know, what am I going to do to stay safe? And um, that's a call you can make and get options. You know, what are, what are the different things that I could do here? Um, or maybe you just need to talk about it, and that's your first step to just being heard and not feeling like you're the only person this is happening to. And, you know, I read a quote from you uh, from another interview that you had done, and Mm -hmm. it just really stuck with me. Domestic violence is everywhere. Mm -hmm. It has no boundaries. Yes. So, so true. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, Connie, we're we're about out of time. Mm -hmm. Any, Any final comments here today? Get involved. Get involved, ask questions, um, learn about the issues. If you are in an unhealthy relationship or not sure if you're in an unhealthy relationship and you need to talk to somebody, call your local um, program and um, talk to somebody. Um, if Or talk to a friend or, or a loved one that you trust that you feel you can have that conversation with. And no, it's not your fault. All right, we'll leave it there, Connie. I thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you. All right, take care. You too. Thanks again to Connie Moore, Executive Director of Alexandra House near Blaine. For more information on domestic violence, you can call the 24-hour hotline at 866-233-1111. Back to you, Scott. Thank you, Tasha. I'll be back with more Minnesota Matters after this. 
Who might you save? Your mother, your father, your husband, uncle, aunt, son. Learn fast. F-A-S-T. The sudden signs of a stroke and you could save. Your friend, your best friend, teacher, boss, coach. F. Face drooping. A. Arm weakness. S. Speech difficulty. T. Time to call 911. F-A-S-T. Face, arm, speech, time. That's F. Face drooping. A. Arm weakness. S. Speech difficulty. T. Time to call 911. The sooner they get to the hospital, the sooner they'll get treatment. And that can make a remarkable difference in the recovery of... Your neighbor, the waiter, a fellow shopper, a total stranger, grandmother, grandfather. So learn F-A-S-T, the sudden signs of a stroke, then pass it on, because you never know who might save you. Your wife, your colleague, teammate, mother... Spot a stroke fast. Visit strokeassociation.org. Brought to you by the American Stroke Association and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. State lawmakers are embroiled this weekend in the final push to finish the 2016 legislative session. But amid the furor bordering on panic as the clock ticks down, MNN's Bill Werner took a few audio snapshots, if you will, of things that make the Capitol a place unlike any other in the state of Minnesota. There are 201 lawmakers here, plus a lot of other people putting in their two cents worth. And legislative leaders do the best they can to keep things on track. But inevitably, people like to try to slip in their point to rub the opposition's nose in it at every opportunity. Now, here's a little snippet from a floor session. And try to keep in mind that the bill that we are debating on the floor of the Minnesota House of Representatives would allow hunters to wear blaze pink instead of blaze orange, if they wish. We haven't had transportation out yet. We haven't had bonding out yet. We haven't had, oh, we don't have the tax bill back yet. We're not sure where that's going to be. I was just wondering if there was other legislation, for instance, if we changed those white lines to blaze pink, do you think the GOP majority would get us a transportation package uh, on this floor sooner than later? Representative Miller. Uh, Mr. Speaker, Representative Schoen, you'd have to talk to MnDOT as to whether blaze pink would be a, uh, a color that could be used to identify the lines better or not. I'm not the engineer, so I don't really know the answer to that question. Representative Schoen. Well, Mr. Speaker, Representative Miller, so do you think, I mean, probably that the blaze pink and the change in the white lines to blaze pink probably isn't, uh, really isn't a priority as far as the transportation package goes then? Representative Miller. Mr. Speaker. Representative Christensen, for what inquiry? purpose do you rise? Uh, point of parliamentary inquiry. State your point of parliamentary inquiry. Uh, Mr. Speaker, what point of business are we on? We are on... A discussion for final passage of House File 3208. Representative Schoen, you have the floor. Thank you, uh, Mr. Speaker. I was wondering if uh, did Representative Miller wanted to yield to the question I asked him. He will yield. Representative Schoen. Uh, Mr. Speaker, Representative Miller. To do this again, uh, Representative Schoen. What exactly was that question again? Thank you, Mr. Representative Speaker. Representative Schoen. Would you believe that uh, having that discussion of changing the white lines to blaze pink with MnDOT would be a priority? Representative Miller. Uh, Mr. Speaker, Representative Schoen, it's my understanding that we have a very solid, very good transportation offer before the governor at this time. Now I think I'm even confused about what we're talking about. Now here's another thing that happens a fair amount in the closing days of the legislative session. Heck, it happens throughout the whole legislative session. 
Somebody says something. We seem to be furthest apart right now on, on the, the transit piece of the transportation. So uh, we've set that aside for the time being and are talking about the other things. Okay, and then somebody else hears part of that. Based on what the speaker said last night, that he wanted to, I, somebody can correct me if I'm wrong, I think he said he wanted to leave transit for another day, kind of referring to next year. Let's talk about transit next year. That I've, I've consistently said that uh, any kind of a transportation proposal has to include transit. So if the speaker has taken transit off the table and wants to put it on the side and talk about it next year, there's not a path to get a transportation bill this year. Now, if he were to reconsider that, uh, we're certainly open to talking about that. Okay, I think I'm clear now about who said what. But wait, there's more from the Senate floor. We tried to pass a few weeks ago a $463 million package of transportation spending that was rejected. But now to have the majority leader announce that we were not going to do a transportation bill this year, I think that deserves some explanation. And I would just uh, encourage if Senator Bach is around to come and tell us or if maybe, uh, maybe he can let us know tomorrow why he decided that we would not do that this year. Senator Sieben. Uh, Madam President and Senator Han, I certainly don't want to speak for Senator Bach, but I did emerge from that meeting and was uh, listening as Senator Bach spoke to reporters. And what I um, recall from that conversation was that Senator Bach articulated very well that um, because the most recent House proposal did not include transit, in his opinion, the um, transportation bill was done. I also recall him stating that should the House come back with a proposal that included transit, that the Senate would certainly be willing to uh, consider that, that proposal. And then you add what news reports say about what everybody said or didn't say, and I'm not sure if anybody can understand what happened. I'd just love to hear what you tell your spouses about your job every day when you go home from work. <laughs> you wouldn't believe this cast of characters we work with so at the Capitol. <laughs> Before we're done here, we should get to interview you all a little bit. <laughs> anyway, thank you. Thanks. We'll see you thank again you tomorrow. Okay. Yes, we yes, you will. <laughs> Happy end of session, everybody. Bill Werner on the Minnesota News Network. Thanks for that report, Bill. More Minnesota Matters after this. Don't you wish that getting your child to eat right, move more, and spend less time in front of a screen could be as easy as pushing a button? It might not be that simple, but you do have more power than you know. And you can maximize that power with proven strategies, tips, and tools from the National Institutes of Health's We Can, or Ways to Enhance Children's Activity and Nutrition program. We Can offers all kinds of resources, including fun recipes and activities the family can do together to show you the way to live a healthier lifestyle. We're not saying it's easy. We are saying that it can be done. Take the first step today. Call 1-866-359-3226 for a free We Can Parents Handbook. And be sure to visit the We Can website at wecan.nhlbi.nih.gov for free information, too. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. So you see, son, good manners are very, very important. Someday, many years from now, when you're a grown-up, you'll be a man. And when you are, you should be a gentleman. Do you want me to go through it one more time? Yes. Yes, please. 
Yes, please. Exactly. Always say please, thank you, you're welcome, and excuse me. Sit up straight, hold doors open for ladies. If a door's shut, then knock first. Don't burp, don't swear, don't speak with your mouthful, don't reach across people's plates, keep your elbows off the table. What table? And don't interrupt. While we're at it, don't stare, don't use foul language, don't call people names, but do remember people's names. Always share your toys, play nice, and cover your mouth when you cough or sneeze. On the bus, give up your seat to anyone who has trouble standing. Bottom line, treat others the way you'd like to be treated. Got it? Got it. And stop picking your nose. Most parenting is hard to do in just two minutes. But spending just two minutes twice a day making sure they brush their teeth is easier and could help save them from a lifetime of tooth pain. For fun two-minute videos to watch while brushing, visit 2min2x.org. That's 2min2x.org. A message from the Partnership for Healthy Mouths, Healthy Lives, and the Ag Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. It was an exciting week for the Minnesota Timberwolves as star player Carl Anthony Towns was named the National Basketball Association Rookie of the Year. MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm has the story. Scott Towns became only the fourth player in NBA history to garner every first-place vote in the Rookie of the Year balloting. He had a dominant season, averaging 18 points per game and nearly 11 rebounds per contest, and says the transition to the professional ranks was pretty good. The hurdles and the trials and tribulations that come with being the number one pick and everything uh, were uh, mellowed due to the fact that I went to the University of Kentucky. It was just uh, so much pressure being the team uh, the pursuit of perfection and everything that went with it uh, just didn't have the same comparison to playing every single day in the NBA. So I think I got to thank the University of Kentucky every single day for that, for making me feel at ease every single day, just knowing that whatever pressure came to me, I was easily able to uh, deal with due to the fact I was there. Town says it's a meaningful honor for him at a lot of levels. This is so much deeper than basketball. This is something that my family could look back and you know, smile. You know, this is a landmark in my career, but it's not the it's not the last one. Uh, I plan to uh, continue to grow as a player, continue to improve, and continue to uh, bring Minnesota to the place it should be as a playoff contender, as a championship contender. So I can't wait to continue this journey here in Minnesota, and I can't wait to continue to bring Minneapolis to the place it deserves. So he says, "There's no doubt the future is bright." But how bright? Everything's reasonable. Nothing's off the table. <laughs> um, this is something that we're going in with a lot of confidence. We're going to go in with a great game plan. You know, uh, we've made some great moves, and uh, you know the team is on the right, right path. So we're doing a great job every single day, every single minute, second of improving our team to be the team that we want to be. And um, I see nothing but uh, aspirations to be in the playoffs next year and uh, trying to make a run. And that means the hard work is just beginning. I woke up early today before everything happened today. And uh, I was up very early, about 6.15 in the morning, working out, you know, getting ready for next season already. You know, you got to, it starts now, you know. So working out, just I have a lot of new things that I'm adding to my game. Um, some things I'm sharpening up more and just having a great time today. So I think you're going to see some new moves next year and uh, new tools I'm going to utilize. In addition, Towns paid tribute to the man who drafted him, but never got to coach him. As part of the rookie honor, Towns won an SUV. He donated that vehicle to the Minnesota chapter of the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society in honor of the late Flip Saunders, who died last fall. From then on, it was about living his vision out every single day. and I worked tremendously hard every single day, every single second, uh, to live his vision out and uh, accomplish what he had for us. Town says he owes a lot to Flip. For me, I play this game with a lot of love and passion, so to lose someone that I love tremendously 
and Flip was uh, very hard. I took it very hard. Um, but it's one of those things, you know, his vision for us was set in stone. and He knew exactly how he wanted us to play every single day. Flip's wife, Debbie Saunders, was on hand for the ceremony in Minneapolis. Towns also says he feels good about the new coach, Tom Thibodeau. Good conversations, and uh, the vision of this team is great. You know, we're going to, like I said, I think that we, he sees the same goals and aspirations and vision that we see for each other and his organization. So, like I said, we're going upward, and we're making a lot of progress every single day of building towards being the team that we want to be. And Thibodeau is excited about Towns and the season he had. I thought he navigated the ups and downs of an NBA season. He started, he had uh, a couple of strong games early, then he struggled a little bit, and then, and, but that's part of the NBA. And to have an understanding of how you can navigate through those things is important. Uh, so when you hit adversity, can you get through that? Can you play well when you're not shooting well? Can you help your team win? And he, he did a lot of those things. Thibodeau says he likes what Towns brings to the court. His skill set is very unusual for a, a guy that size and how unselfish he is. Uh, so not only uh, excelling individually, but also bringing out the best in the, in the people that are around him. Uh, and that's what you want from a leader. Now, we have a lot of work to do, and there, he's got a lot of room for improvement. Uh, but when you look at what he did uh, in his rookie year at his age, it's pretty remarkable. Thibodeau says the hard work for Towns and his teammates is all ahead of them. In studying the team and what they bring to the team, uh, it's exciting. And I think that they want the challenge. But uh, uh, the way, you know, Carl can dominate a game, I think defensively, I think he can help set the tone for that. And then uh, we're going to ask uh, Andrew to take the challenge of guarding a primary scorer on the perimeter. And so... Uh, and it's not just uh, individual defense, it's team defense. I think in this league, it's very difficult to guard guys one-on-one. -on -one. So it's, and it, it's every aspect of your defense, starting with defensive transition to catch and shoot defense, low post defense, pick and roll defense, uh, isolation defense. And if one guy's not doing their job, everyone's gonna look bad. So it's, it has to be five-man offense, five-man defense, uh, everyone knowing what their job is and then going out and doing their job. We have to be able to count up be able to count on each other. Thibodeau, Towns, and the Wolves also stayed in the number five spot for next month's NBA draft. Towns attended Tuesday's draft lottery in his hometown of New York City. The draft is set for June 23rd, also in New York City. Scott, thank you, Mike. I'll be back with more Minnesota Matters after this. You wanted to see me? Yes, please, have a seat. So here's the thing. When this company brought you on, we took a chance on you. You didn't have that four-year college degree we typically look for. Right. But we gave you a shot anyway. And since then, you've worked incredibly hard and given it your all. Thanks. You've been an important asset to the team. But I don't think you can be an intern here anymore. <sighs> we want to hire you. You're, you're serious? Absolutely. Find your next great employee. Introduce yourself to the grads of life. Who are they? Talent worth knowing about. Young adults of unique determination and experience. An ideal fit for your company in an entry-level position, internship, or even mentorship. They might not have every qualification you typically look for, but they're exactly who your company needs. I won't let you down. I know. Don't miss out on a resource many innovative companies have already discovered. Go to gradsoflife.org to learn how to find, cultivate, and train this great pool of untapped talent. Brought to you by the Ad Council and gradsoflife.org. 
Welcome back to Minnesota Matters, I'm Scott Peterson. A nearly half-century-old Minnesota-made video game recently made it into the World Video Game Hall of Fame. The game is Oregon Trail, and I recently spoke with the Strong Museum's John Paul Dyson about the game's origins and why there's a Video Game Hall of Fame to begin with. The Strong Museum uh, established the World Video Game Hall of Fame uh, last year, in 2015, and directed the first class then. And it's an outgrowth of our work on preservation and history of play, including video games. We have the world's largest both play collection, toys, dolls, games, puzzles, but also video games. And so it was a good way to honor the most outstanding games of all time and to really measure their influence on not only games, but also society, learning, other aspects of, of play and culture. As I mentioned earlier, one of the games that went in this year was the Oregon Trail, and can you just give me a little bit of background on the game, what it is, and then we'll talk a little bit about its development here in Minnesota. Sure. The, the Oregon Trail is a game that's set in 1848, and you take the role of a family of pioneers crossing the, uh, crossing the continental U.S. on the way to the promised land in, in, in Oregon, and hope to make it, and there's lots of obstacles along the way, and it was a real pioneer in terms of the educational video games, especially using games to teach. And it was the game that became in many ways ubiquitous throughout the United States, classrooms especially, in the 1970s uh, and 1980s. And it had its development uh, in the very early 70s here in Minnesota, as I understand it. And I was hoping you could maybe tell me a little bit about how that game came to be developed in Minnesota. Right. Well, you know, Minnesota was an early hotbed of computing. Um, it was really a pioneer in terms of getting people access to computers. There are a lot of companies there. And so in 1971, three young Carleton College students were, teaching, were doing student teaching. And one of them, Don Rawich, was teaching American history. And he wanted to do something a little bit more innovative with his, with his students. So he d- devised a game that would let the students travel across the, the United States as if they were pioneers. And he showed his two roommates, uh, Bill Heinemann and Paul Dillenberger, and, and they said, hey, we can do this with computers. And this is 1971, and there was one computer that, that hooked up to, it was an old teletype printer that students could connect to. And so the three students got sat down and created this game, and the students loved it. It was very different than the later version in terms of how you interacted with some of its components, but it was... a a great start. And then when he, when Don, finished, Robert finished his student teaching, he just took the computer, the code with him, and they deleted it off the, the system, and, and that might have been the end of the story. But then he got a job with a company called, uh, called MEC, which was the Minnesota Education Compu- Computer Consortium. And is the game still in circulation today, and has it changed much since it was first developed? I would assume it, it, it has to have, because it was very, very simple by today's standards back in the 70s. Right, exactly. It, it, in many ways, the game is still the same game. You're still faced with this, the challenge of crossing the continental U.S. with limited resources, and you make choices that have consequences, and you see if you can make it, and hope, hopefully... Some of your players don't die along the way, which students seem to get great pleasure out of, especially <laughs> one term, students died of dysentery, what is something that's become a bit of a meme. But even while the basic core concept of the game has stayed the same, obviously over the years the game changed. For instance, early in the game to hunt, uh, in order to hunt on a teletype printer, there, was no gra- there were no graphics, and so students had to accurately type the word bang. 
Uh, and if they got that right, then they, they, they killed an animal that gave them more food. Later on, the graphics got much more sophisticated, and Mech continued to improve the game uh, over the years, releasing different versions to keep current with, with changes in technology. If they didn't type the word bang correctly, did they get attacked and eaten? Uh, I think they just didn't get food. Uh, okay. So it was, uh, and starvation was one of the main, <laughs> the main obstacles you had to face in order to get, get across. And you went through your food pretty rapidly. So, John Paul, what do you think it is that has allowed this game to endure for this long? The game is really a great blend of having to make choices, uh, resources that you have to allocate carefully, enough obstacles. The difficulty is just perfectly pitched, so it's not too easy, but it's also not impossible. And as we wrap things up here, John Paul, just tell me a little bit about what it actually means for the game to go into the Hall of Fame. Is there a ceremony? Is there a place where, you know, is it is it like Canton, Ohio, or, or the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Is there an actual building where people can go and, and see uh, artifacts? There is. So the World Video Game Hall of Fame is housed at the Strong Museum. Strong Museum is uh, a very large museum. We get more than half a million people every year. It's a great place for families, people of all ages to come and and play and learn and, and see artifacts, including from the World Video Game Hall of Fame. And we had a ceremony on um, on Mar- May 5th that celebrated the game, and Don Rawich, the, the original creator of the game, co-creator of the game, came out and was able to join in those, those festivities. So there is a permanent home now for the game, and anyone who's in Rochester, New York, where the Strong Museum is located, is welcome to come, and I guarantee they'll have a great time. Joining Oregon Trail in the class of 2016, Space Invaders, Grand Theft Auto 3, The Legend of Zelda, The Sims, and Sonic the Hedgehog. That's going to do it for this week. Thanks again for listening, and please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.